going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning, and just all that we've been able to do this morning reminds you of the gift of being a part of a church family, uh, that the relationships that God brings into our lives, the opportunities we have to serve one another and be served and be loved by those around us, there's just no joy quite like being a part of, of a church family. As we think about that joy and what that means, even at the end of our time this morning, to be able to take the Lord's Supper together, that in that simple act of worship of coming to these tables and taking the elements and taking to the Lord's Supper together, it's a reminder of how God brings us together in, in families. Just thinking about church and some things we have coming up here at, at Emmaus, this afternoon, Four o'clock, we're going to go caroling out in our community, go to some of our homebound members, go to some of our friends in the community, and just be able to, to sing with them. You don't have to feel like you can be a part of the choir up here because I'm going to be participating in the caroling. So that tells you everything you need to know about the musical ability that you need to go caroling at four o'clock. If you want to be a part of that, and I hope you'll come and do that, we're going to meet out here in the lobby today, four o'clock. We'll split up into groups and, and we're going to go out from there. So I want you to be aware of that. Next Sunday, talk about being a part of a church family, we have our Christmas meal together as a church. And so right after the worship service next Sunday, I hope you'll stick around, have lunch with us. After the lunch, we're going to go out and take meal bags into the community, serve our community by taking those meal bags out. And so you don't have to do the meal bags in order to come to the lunch. Please come to lunch. Be a part of that. Enjoy that together. And if you want to go with us, we're going to take those meal bags out in the community. And then we have our Christmas Eve service coming up. We're so thankful for those, those things, just those gifts of being a part of a church. This morning, I want to introduce you to two ladies, Elizabeth and Anna, two ladies in Scripture Elizabeth and Anna, who show us what it looks like to have joy. Your feeling of joy, I don't know if it's high right now, or you feel like, you know what, Owen, I don't have a lot of joy in my life. I'm struggling with happiness. I'm struggling with joy. I want to show you from Elizabeth and Anna's life some surprising ways that God brings joy into our lives. Luke chapter 1, let's start in verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now here's what I want you to see about Elizabeth as we get started. We've been studying the women of Christmas. The women we've studied the last couple of weeks, they have not had the right family background, they haven't had the right reputation. They come from the wrong side of the tracks, you might say, in, in some circles. These are the ladies that have really struggled in life in a lot of ways. This week, Elizabeth is the complete opposite of that. She comes from the right family. She's been around the block before. She knows church. She understands that world. And so what you have to think about when you're thinking about Elizabeth's story is not the person coming from the hard background. Elizabeth, she has all the right reputation, all the right family, all the right background. She knows the rules. She's been around. She has that story. Verse 6. And Elizabeth and Zechariah were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Can I remind you 
that your family background, your social status, and how well you have lived your life does not make you immune from trouble in your life. That just because you check all the boxes, just because you came from a great family, just because you have lived a righteous life does not automatically mean you're not going to face trouble in life. In fact, you probably are going to face trouble in life. There's that story in the Gospel of John about the man who was born blind, and the people looked around and said, why was this man born blind? Was, was it his family who did something, his parents? Did he do something wrong? And Jesus said, you've completely understood how this works. It's not your family background. It's not your righteous living that determines whether or not you're going to fall into hardship and difficulty in life. We're going to face those things. And you may be going through life and think, I came from the right family. I've tried to do the right thing. Why are these things happening to me? Look here at Elizabeth's life and the way that she goes through the difficulty that she goes through, even though she has the right background. And I would just remind you again on, on a point here that I think is so important when you think about a church family. You can have someone who knows the church game, who grew up in church, who has the right family, who's tried to live the right life. And then take someone who has not grown up in church. And when they show up, everybody does a double take and thinks, what are they doing in church? How did they get in here without being struck by lightning? Like, they don't have the right family. They don't have the right background. You take those two opposite people, and in this story, those two opposite women. You know what often brings us together with others? It's shared experiences of difficulty and hardship. People are often impressed by someone else's strength, but they are drawn together because of shared weaknesses. We are drawn together in friendships and camaraderie and relationships because we look at somebody and say, you went through that too? You, you've experienced something like that before? And our hearts are drawn together, not because of the type of background we have, but because we have shared experiences in life and we're able to look at them and say, I don't know exactly what you've gone through, but I know some of what that feels like, and, and the Lord brings us together. The other thing I want you to see about Elizabeth here is she is advanced in years, which means she doesn't want you to know how old she is. <laughs> She's just advanced in years. Like, you can pick how old she might, she might be, but even in this situation, the Lord is going to work through her life. Now, the next verses that you find in Luke chapter 1 are the story of Zechariah, where he goes in and finds out Elizabeth is going to have a baby, and he doesn't believe, and he's not able to talk for a long time, which Elizabeth might consider the best years of their marriage or the best days of their marriage, but Zechariah is not able to talk for a long time. Go down to verse 24. You go down to verse 24, and it says, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The following verses have to do with the story of Mary finding out that she is going to have a child. And we're going to look at that story next week. But if you go down then further in your Bible to verse 39, you find the meeting between Elizabeth and Mary. Verse 39 of Luke 1. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. As we've been going through this Women of Christmas series, I've tried to pull out some pieces of artwork to show you. I love this beautiful piece of artwork that has come from the last couple of years of Elizabeth and Mary, and I know it doesn't look like what we would normally think of of Bible artwork, but I think it's beautiful. This meeting of 
the older Elizabeth and the younger Mary, and you can see as the womb lights up, as these, these young ones within the womb begin to respond to this meeting between Mary and Elizabeth, and you even find this played out in, in your Bible. Look in verse 41. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. A couple of interesting things about that reference there. In the Old Testament part of your Bible, in Genesis chapter 25, we read of a story where two twins in the womb are, are battling. And you get this battle between Jacob and Esau that's, that's happening in the womb. That scene in Genesis 25 prompted this belief among the Jewish people that even young children in the womb experience emotions and responses to the world around them. And as we think about the world in which we live, what a great reminder that that child in the womb is a child, that that child in the womb is a gift and a creation of God Almighty, that even this idea of a child experiencing emotions and responses to stimuli in the world, this became a belief among the Jewish people that frankly reflects exactly what we know about how God creates and the work that he does among, among his people. But you see this contrast between Jacob and Esau fighting in the womb and here these two children, John and Jesus, even though not in the same womb, they are responding with joy to one another as they have this meeting of, of their mothers. Look at the next verse. Verse 41, middle there, it says, When this happens, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now this is a pattern that Luke carries all the way through the Gospel of Luke and, and through the book of Acts that Luke also wrote in the, in the New Testament, there's this pattern that plays itself out over and over and over again. When the Holy Spirit shows up in Luke and Acts, the people experience joy and they speak about the Lord. If you ever think in your life, what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be at work in somebody's life? Like, I don't feel very spiritual. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is at work in a person's life? Can I tell you that from Scripture, from Luke and Acts, the two signs that the Holy Spirit is at work in someone's life is they experience joy from the inside out and they speak about the things of the Lord. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to experience joy from the inside out and it means to speak about the things of the Lord. And you see this coming through Elizabeth and you can follow the pattern all the way through the book of Acts. Pick it up in verse 43 there. Elizabeth says, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now Elizabeth is doing a little bit of prophecy work here because she has given insight to this situation to know that the baby in Mary's womb is going to be her Lord. This is the Messiah who is to come. Verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I don't want you to miss something here in Elizabeth's story that's very important. Elizabeth has waited years and years and years to get pregnant. And then here's young Mary, let's be honest, probably 14, 15, 16, it's, it's hard to know, but, but a young teenage, middle teenage girl who, who is pregnant, and Mary's baby is going to be the savior of the world. He is the creator of all things, and Elizabeth, who has waited forever to get pregnant, 
her baby is going to serve Jesus. John the Baptist is going to prepare the way for Jesus. Have you ever waited for something for years and years and years, and then you finally get it, and then that lousy person X upstages you at the moment? You're like, I finally got the job I wanted, and yes, of course that person would get a better job, and everybody would be talking about them. Don't miss this about Elizabeth. She has waited forever to get pregnant, forever for this baby to come, and even when her baby comes, she's not the center of the story, and it doesn't bother her at all because she sees the plans of God unfolding. She knows that her pregnancy is not supposed to be the center of the universe. She has been called to serve, and her child will prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. For God to bring joy in your life, you don't have to be the center of the universe. For God to bring joy in your life, you don't have to be the center of the story. It's just a matter of, God, how are you calling me to serve? How are you calling me to be a part of your plans? And Elizabeth plays this out over and over again in her story. Jump over to Luke chapter 2. I want to introduce you to Anna. Luke chapter 2 takes us to Anna. And there's a lot of connections between Elizabeth and Anna, which is why we're taking them together today. Luke chapter 2, let's start in verse 36. What do we learn about this beautiful lady, Anna? Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. From the very beginning, we find out here that Anna is a prophetess, that she is doing this work of Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians 11, that, that she's speaking, she has insight into the things of the Lord that she's able to share with others. And it says that she comes from the tribe of Asher. From the Old Testament, we know that Asher's tribe is described as your strength will equal your days, which means that the tribe of Asher has good genes. Like the people, if you come from this family, you tend to live for a while. Look at what happens with Anna. She was also advanced in years, except her age gets played out, actually, in the Bible. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, so she was married seven years, and then as a widow until she was 84. Now, there's a little bit of discrepancy in, in the text, in the manuscripts that have come down. We don't know if this means that Anna was married for seven years, and then she was a widow up to the age of 84, or some of the versions say that she was married for seven years, and then she was a widow for 84 years, which would put her over 100 years old by the time of this story. 84 and 105 at that moment? point does it matter I don't know like have you have you got the point that you're like all right I'm just advanced in years why do you have to say this in the Bible about my age but Anna either is 84 or she's about 105 we're, we're not sure either way she's advanced in years and it's another reminder here that no matter your age God is not finished working in your life for his kingdom this last week our staff went up for the funeral service for Jim Lehu's stepdad. And Jim Lehu's stepdad, also named Jim, uh, passed away at the age of 98. Uh, he managed to retire from his job at 93, and he had trouble finding work after that, though he wanted to continue work after he retired at, at 93. And, and in his early to mid-80s, uh, even late 70s into early 80s, he and his wife, uh, Jim's mother, would foster young children uh, at, that, at that time and adopted a little girl, even in, in the early 80s uh, for, for Jim's stepdad. 
Can I remind you that no matter your age, God's not, at, not finished working in your life? That here's Anna, she's at this age of life, probably thinks nothing exciting is gonna happen to me, and God says, well, hang on a second. Something exciting is gonna happen to you. You find here what happens. Middle of 37, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Teenagers, think about this for a second. Okay, so here's this lady. For 84 years, her life has been living in the temple, worshiping, fasting, and praying. If you were going to cast her in a show, or you were going to portray her in a show, if we're not careful, we would portray a lady who looks a little bit bored, you know, maybe a little bit frail, a little bit disinterested, and that would be completely wrong. Because what has she experienced for these years? The presence of God, the joy of prayer, the simplicity of giving her life and devotion to the Lord. Don't overcomplicate this. What God has allowed Anna to experience is incredible blessing. May God raise up more Annas. Women who say, I'm just gonna give myself to worship, to prayer, to devotion to the Lord, however the Lord might use me. It follows from that. Verse 38, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here's this lady who has spent so many years waiting. Lord, what do you want to do in my life? How are you going to use my life? And here she has a chance to be present at the birth of Jesus, to be not at the time of his birth, but right after his birth, she has a chance to experience this. And what is her life characterized by? She gives thanks to God, and she speaks about this to others. Here's what I want you to see from Elizabeth and Anna. I want to see you to see the hard joy that comes from a season of waiting. The hard joy that comes from a season of waiting. These women experienced incredible heartbreak. They knew what it was to experience difficulty in their lives. And, and you have too. We live in a world with difficulty. We live in a world with heartbreak. But even in the middle of that world, they continue to seek after and trust the Lord. That even in the middle of the worst imaginable difficulties, they continue to have joy because their joy is not found in their circumstances. Their joy is found in the Lord. And their joy flows from humility. They're not the center of the story. They're not the ones who are going to be spoken of as celebrities in their culture. But they are beautiful women in the story of Jesus' coming, in the story of his kingdom. Old age brings with it a lot of things, but one of the things it brings that's a huge gift is the gift of perspective. Students, I say this to you and I say this to me as well, there is no greater joy than to spend time with someone who's been around the block a time or two, has been through challenges that go beyond anything we would ever imagine, and for them to look at you and say, you know what, life is short, God is good, and Jesus is worth it. Like, I know in our lives we're clamoring for success, we're trying to figure out what we're gonna do with our life, we're trying to figure out what God's called us to do, but to have an older saint who's lived a life devoted to the Lord who looks at you and says, life is short, God is good, Jesus is worth it, and then they pray for you, 
There is no greater gift. This is one of the things I love about our church family, an intergenerational church family where these students, people my age, are able to look up to those who have been devoted to the Lord, and those who have been devoted to the Lord a long time want to be around those who come with fresh energy and fresh ideas, and we do this all together because we just want to give thanks to God and speak with joy and hope to those around us. Which brings me to the last point, and it's just the simple joy of worship. The simple joy of worship. Sometimes, and I'm probably the world's worst at this, we complicate the Christian life a lot of times, but there is so much joy in just giving yourself to the Lord that we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior. We give thanks to God for what he has done in our lives and we speak about Jesus to others. If you're here this morning and you feel like, you know what, I am struggling so badly with joy in my life. I just don't sense joy. I, I'm, I'm seeking after it, but I'm not finding it. Where's your identity found? That you would confess Jesus as Lord and Savior that you would give thanks to God for what he has done in your life, and you would speak about the good news of Jesus to those around us. That when we do those things, God brings a joy into our lives that we can't find any other way. A couple of years ago, three, four years ago, you guys can probably tell me more, more than I can tell you, uh, a lady named Marie Kondo was becoming really popular in, in our culture. Uh, so, so Marie Kondo, if you're not familiar with this, this concept, was Let's say you have a few too many clothes in your closet, and so you would go into your closet, and you would look at this item of clothing and determine, does that piece of clothing bring joy to me? And if it doesn't, you just throw it out. Because, it, well, you're supposed to, like, let that clothing go in a very meaningful way, I think, if you do Marie Kondo's method completely. And you would look at another item in your house and say, does that item bring joy to me? And if not, you got rid of it. Don't do this with the people in your house. Like if you look at somebody in your house and you're like, does that person in my house bring joy to me? Not really, like they're gonna, don't, don't do that. This is clothes and books and keepsakes and, and things like that. You know, as we go through Advent and prepare for Christmas in a world that is focused on consumption, this is a good time in life to declutter, to simplify, to get rid of some things. But instead of pointing you to Marie Kondo, can I point you to Elizabeth and Anna this morning? That if you want to know true joy in your life, yeah, I'll get rid of a few things in your closet. Like, that's probably, a, that's probably a good thing. But if you want to know an even greater joy in your life, can I point you toward Elizabeth and Anna who humbly waited on and worshiped the Lord? And they would say they want to point you to Jesus, that he's where the joy is found. That when we look to Jesus, we find a joy we can't find anywhere else because he took on our sin, he defeated death, and he gives life that is abundant and eternal. And this morning, we have a chance to celebrate that. That when we come for the Lord's Supper on a Sunday like this, as we celebrate the gift of a church family, as we talk about what it means to wait on and worship the Lord no matter your age, we're going to gather together this morning, young and old, no matter your family, no matter your background, we're just coming around to say joy is found in Jesus. If you're with us this morning, maybe you're a guest here this morning, I want you to know how we participate in the Lord's Supper. I'm gonna pray for us, and then here in a minute, we're gonna have people at these tables, and you're gonna come to one of these tables, and you're gonna take two cups that are stacked together and take those cups back to your chair. We'll take of the elements together, just grab both cups that, that are stacked together. And let me say this as well. 
after we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to sing the doxology together and we'll be dismissed. But at that time, when people are dismissed, if you're here this morning and you need someone to pray with you, we stay right here at the front and we want to pray with you. And even more importantly, if you're here this morning and you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you think, why are these people eating this bread and drinking this juice? Why are they talking about the joy of Jesus? What? If you have questions about salvation, please don't leave this place without talking to someone. I'll be right here at the front. I would love to talk to you about that. Let me pray a blessing over you, and then we're going to stand and come to these table, take those cups, and go back to your seat, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray together at this time. God, this morning has been so meaningful to be a part of, of a church family. God, as we have celebrated people across generations this morning, as we've thought about how you bring joy into our world in, in so many different ways, and God, we live in a world where people want to be the center of the story, they want to be the center of attention, and every one of us faces that temptation in some way. But God, thank you for Elizabeth and Anna. Thank you for the gift of older women that you place in our life who pray for us and who bring a perspective on life that we wouldn't have otherwise. God, help us to remember that life is short, that you are good, and that Jesus is worth everything that we have to give, that he's where the joy is. And Father, I pray that if there are those here this morning who feel so confused about religion, they're uncertain about the relationship with you, they don't have any joy in life right now, God, I pray this morning that they would turn to you and be reminded that Jesus took on their sin, Jesus took on their past, Jesus takes on all of their worries, and he has defeated sin and death so that we would have life and have it forever. And so God, help us to celebrate that in this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.